Welcome back, everybody, to the Know-It-All Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Jerry, the Fantasy Football Know-It-All. You can find me on Twitter, at FFKnowItAll. Feel free to email the show directly, knowitallfantasyfootball at gmail.com. Hope you're all having an amazing start to your week. The NFL Draft is now in our rearview mirror. I hope that all of your teams have done well. I know there are some of you out there that are shaking your head at certain moves your team may have made. I certainly had a couple of those second guesses on draft night as well for the Steelers. And we can talk about that a little bit as the season progresses. We are today going to focus on the top 24 running backs. Um, Now, this is an early assessment of the top 24 There's going to be a lot that happens between now and when the season begins, but as we prepare for the 2021 NFL fantasy football season, I did want to give you my thoughts on what I feel or who I feel are the top 24 as we head into the draft preparation season. Before we get started with that, however, I do want to tell you guys about a podcast that I personally listen to. It's called The Morning Smoke CLT. Be sure to join my man G as he gives his unique take on a vast array of topics that we all can relate to. The folks at Morning Smoke CLT have revamped their format this season uh, for the 2021 year and have infused it with new music, new perspectives regarding the hometown Carolina Panthers. G is a huge Panther fan, so he will give you the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to the Carolina Panthers. And If you are a cigar aficionado or or just a a fan of cigars in general, he might uh, have a few surprises for you in that regard as well. So don't miss it, guys. You can find the Morning Smoke CLT on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or anywhere that podcasts can be found. Now, as we begin our analysis today, I do want to talk about the running back tiers. Um, Now, you'll hear this term throughout all of fantasy Uh, analysts like to group players into tiers, tier one, tier two, tier three, etc. Typically, I shy away from grouping players that way, as I feel it kind of clouds your vision when you're actually participating in an actual draft. You're worrying about having to take a player out of a certain tier in order to balance your roster. That's not a good way to go about doing it. But we'll get more into my philosophies later when we uh, when we go into the draft uh, preparation. But for now, let's kick this thing off as I go through what many people consider as the first tier, which are the first five running backs. And last year, you may recall, I made the prediction that Dalvin Cook would finish ahead of both Alvin Kamara and Ezekiel Elliott by the end of the season. In 2020, we saw what a a relatively healthy Dalvin Cook could accomplish. In only 14 games, he rushed 312 times for 1,556 yards and 16 touchdowns. Add 44 receptions for 361 yards and a couple of TDs through the air, and that makes him the number one running back in fantasy. The Vikings have made it clear that they're going to continue to base their offense around Cook's abilities as both a receiver and a rusher. He's the unquestioned workhorse back there in Minnesota, and his uh, the emergence last year of Justin Jefferson in the passing game will only spread out opposing defenses all the more and allow for more running room uh, be, being afforded to, to Cook, who obviously is one of the more talented and gifted runners in the NFL. Now, it's still early, 
So we have to make sure that, you know, we keep that in mind. Things can develop over training camp that might change our mind as far as, as Dalvin Cook goes. But right now, I don't expect anything to change my mind in taking him number one overall. At number two, I have Christian McCaffrey. This seems like a no-brainer to put CMC among the top three uh, running backs heading into the upcoming campaign, assuming he's healthy. One can argue that he belongs uh, at the top of the draft heading into 2021 based on his 2018 and 2019 performances. Again, like I mentioned a few seconds ago, that is, of course, if he remains healthy. This is a huge if coming off an injury-riddled season that he never really got going in. When he played, he was excellent, but he missed time early on in the season due to a multiple uh, multitude of ailments, and then he came back, and then he was out again, and he couldn't uh, make a return, disappointing his owners, of course, who drafted him uh, number one or number two overall in most drafts. Now, we can't predict injuries, so assuming that he plays all 17 games, CMC should finish no worse than in the top five, I say no worse than number three. The Panthers no longer have Mike Davis on hand, and they had it, they've had they added no competition for Christian McCaffrey. So by all accounts, the workload there should be close to what it was before the injuries, and that should give you reason enough to, to have faith in getting him that early in the draft. Just keep an eye on his injuries, watch his usage during training camp, and just uh, see how it unfolds for you there. I'm going to go out on a limb here, listing Saquon Barkley at number three. This is a guy that missed the entire season last year with a torn ACL, but I'm basing this number three ranking on a number of factors. On film, Barkley looks fantastic, especially uh, even though, in spite of, running behind that awful offensive line in New York. I expect that he will be ready to go by August, and I think that he will play with a chip on his shoulder. The Giants have added Kenny Galladay to the receiving core uh, there in New York, and that should create more chances for Barkley to break some big runs. You could make an argument over whether or not he belongs at number five and the guys at number four and five belong at three and four. We'll get into that. It's kind of, it depends, I guess, on the format and, and what your view is on these players, and we'll get into that. But in my mind, I would rather take a young, super talented, three-down workhorse over a couple of guys that have limitations in their game. We'll put it that way. And that'll lead me right into number four, which is Alvin Kamara. Now, you might say, well, what limitations does Alvin Kamara have? On the surface, you're correct. He is super talented. He catches the ball and he runs. However, he is not used as a three-down workhorse in the offense there in New Orleans, even though we don't know what's going to happen at quarterback, whether it'll be Jameis Winston or Hill, we don't know. So we're going to have to wait and see on how he gets used, but he has never been used as a three-down workhorse in his tenure there. He's not built that way. However, since this is a PPR-focused podcast, I'm going to give him a higher ranking than Derrick Henry, who is next on this list. Spoiler alert there. Kamara ran the ball just 87 times last year. Now, he did almost have 1,000 yards, and he had 10 rushing touchdowns, so he does the best he can do with the ball in his hands. He is very dynamic, very athletic, and he has a lot of speed. What did he do in the passing game, you might be asking? 
Well, no, he didn't have 81 receptions for the fourth straight year. In fact, he had 83. So his production actually went up slightly. He has never played a season in the NFL where he has caught less than 80 passes. Think about that. That is unbelievable. In PPR formats, that, that pays for itself in dividends. The Saints are now, like I mentioned a few, a few minutes ago, in a transition year. So it could be Taysom Hill. It could be uh, Jameis Winston. It could be a combination of both. Now that Drew Brees has retired, I feel that regardless of whoever New Orleans decides to replace Brees with at quarterback, whether it's a combination of the two or one or the other, the offense is run by Sean Payton. So either way, Alvin Kamara will be heavily involved on the ground and through the air. You do not need to shy away from him in the top five. The only thing limiting him from a top three here is his usage, especially since he's going to share the backfield with somebody. Now, Derrick Henry, just how good is Derrick Henry? This will hopefully explain it. In PPR, which for those of you who are new to fantasy football, is point per reception. You get one point for every pass you catch, regardless of whether it's 10 yards, 50 yards, or whatever. And there's other points added on to that. We'll go into that more in a future podcast for those of you who don't know too much about scoring or just want to know more. He had 19 catches for 114 yards and no touchdowns. Not very good, right? Yet he still ranks as one of the top five running backs at the position in PPR formats. His rushing numbers will tell you most of the story, and then the film will tell you the rest. Last season, Henry ran the ball 378 times for a whopping 2,027 yards and 17 touchdowns. He's an absolute monster with the ball in his hands. He basically sees all the rushing attempts that the Tennessee Titans put forth. That's not going to change. There's nobody there that is going to eat into his production. Maybe a rest once in a while, but the, those 378 rushing, rushing attempts, he could get close to 400 if he's healthy. And he's been that through his career. He hasn't had too many injuries, hasn't missed too much time. His ability to carry your team and his own team on his back any given week is a reason to take him as high as I have him going here. You guys know me if you've listened to me. I've been singing the praises of Derrick Henry since he was splitting time with the corpse of DeMarco Murray, of all people, a few seasons ago. Do you guys remember him? For those of you out there who run a business, you're most likely using an outdated website if you even have one set up at all. That's where Bove Design comes into play. Rob and company have the tools and expertise to set your business up for success. Don't just take my word for it. Follow them on Instagram at bove.design, that's B-O-V-E dot design, and you can see their custom work firsthand. You can also check out my sharp new logo as well when you've uploaded or downloaded this podcast as it was made courtesy of Bove Design. So make sure you hit Rob, the owner, up on IG. Throw him a follow. Check out his work. If you're looking for graphic design work, web design, or even a custom logo like the one I have. Now at number six is where things get a bit interesting. Since it's early, I'm going to go with Aaron Jones here based on the assumption that Aaron Rodgers is still the quarterback uh, for the Green Bay Packers when the season begins. Now, as a side note, some of you may have woken up on uh, 
I believe it was Sunday morning with uh, Twitter. There, there was a, a Twitter hoax that Aaron Rodgers retired, and hopefully he didn't fall for that. I had to read into it for a while. I, I First, before my coffee, I actually thought it was true. So there's a lot of talk out there about Aaron Rodgers as a side note here, but we're going to assume for the sake of argument that uh, Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback when the season begins. Jones was was signed in the offseason, so they did not let him go, which means that he should remain the main option out of the backfield. The Packers also let Jamal Williams walk. This is an indication that Jones will be utilized in the passing game, perhaps more than he was before. Because even with Williams still there in the fold, Jones caught 47 passes for 355 yards to go along with his 201 rushing attempts for 1,109 yards. A.J. Dillon is there. I feel he'll serve as mainly a backup as he and Jones are built primarily the same. He's more of a a thunder-type rusher, in my opinion. Now, should Aaron Rodgers be dealt by Green Bay, then we'll need to revisit this. But right now, I think uh, Aaron Jones is my number six for the moment. Coming in at number seven is a guy that I've liked the past couple of seasons. Last year was a, a really bad situation. Like Christian McCaffrey, it was a lost season for Joe Mixon. He's a super talented back who finished up the 2019 campaign on an absolute tear and looked like he was ready to vault into the top five last season, but it wasn't meant to be. Injuries plagued him the whole year. They ended up shutting him down. It was frustrating because they didn't put him on IR. So if you were the Mixon owner, you had him locked, loaded, and ready each week. And it was just disappointment after disappointment. The Bengals have committed to Mixon as their workhorse back when he's out there and healthy, especially now that they said goodbye to Giovanni Bernard, who is now in Tampa Bay. There is absolutely no competition here. Mixon is on an offense that should be improved with the return of uh, Joe Burrow, second-year quarterback, he did uh, suffer a, a season-ending uh, injury last year, but he should be back and healthy. This They've added pieces to the receiving core. This one was close, and I almost put the next guy here at number seven. But as I said before, I like a workhorse back out rather than somebody who is going to split time with somebody else, and that's kind of what I'm worried about with my number eight guy, which is Ezekiel Elliott. You might say to yourself, well, Zeke has always been a workhorse down there in Dallas. But if you watched last season, there there was a, a big outlier. And, and I realized that the injury to Dak Prescott had a little bit to do with that. Maybe Zeke's fumble issues. We'll talk about all that in a minute. But there are some uh, red flags with Ezekiel Elliott. Um, now, going into last year, the draft, he was a solid number three behind Obviously, Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey among running backs or overall, many analysts, myself included, referred to Ezekiel Elliott as the safest pick at the running back position. And as it turned out, he was the safest of those three, but you you saw more upside with Dalvin Cook last year. And I did forecast a better performance from Cook, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I felt that you could not go wrong taking Zeke with the third pick because of his just his volume. But we saw that change last season, and I'll, I'll touch on that. It was subpar to say the least. Again, he struggled with holding on to the ball, as I mentioned, and it led to him being benched in, in favor of Pollard on a few occasions. 
He had 57 less carries for 400 less yards than 2019, and his touchdown production was cut in half. He only missed one game. So that you need to keep that in mind. You saw Tony Pollard in that one game put up a potential league-winning performance. I had him on my bench. I put him in my lineup, and I had him as a handcuff to Zeke, who I also had, and that worked out very well for me, catapulted me into the league finals. Again, the loss of Dak Prescott early in the season could have contributed to the drop uh, of numbers, but I don't think that it had that big of an impact as Zeke was and and should be the number one option there out of the running uh, in, in the running game. So whether Pollard becomes more of a factor in 2021 remains to be seen. I do still like Zeke to be a top 12 running back. I feel like his days in the top five are definitely numbered, if not over. I would rather have Joe Mixon with no competition in Cincinnati than Ezekiel Elliott with that kind of a mess in Dallas. At number nine is a guy that I like so much that I would have him in the top five if it weren't for his current situation, and that's Nick Chubb. Cleveland proved last season that there can be two extremely productive backs on a winning football team. That said, Kareem Hunt is far too talented to just remain on the bench while Chubb gets the majority of the backfield work. Still, the talent and opportunity are still there for Chubb, who in only 12 games finished with over 1,000 yards rushing and 12 touchdowns. However, Hunt was featured as basically the passing downs back, which gives me a pause when considering Chubb as my number one guy in a PPR format. I don't have a problem taking him that way, and it could very well be that I go with him over Ezekiel Elliott uh, when the smoke clears later on. Again, these are early rankings. This is just what I have for now. Depending on where you get Nick Chubb, though, he could be a huge steal if people are looking at Hunt as a, a true threat to him. Just don't take Chubb before a guy that will get more work, basically. Um, Joe Mixon, I'm using as the example. I would have, rather have Mixon than Chubb. Chubb and Elliott, I'd kind of be on the line with. At number 10 is a guy who could be in the conversation as a workhorse back, but we need to see it play out over more than just five or six games, and that's Cam Akers. He exploded at the end of last season for the LA Rams. He may have been one of those late-round guys that perhaps propelled you to the playoffs or perhaps even a championship. At the start of 2020, this was Daryl Henderson's backfield, um, and he was the starting running back for the Rams for over half the season. But as the, the campaign wore down, Akers got the opportunity to get in there due to injuries and, and so on and so forth. And then he literally ran away with the job. Again, I mentioned he started only five games, but he finished with 625 yards rushing on 145 carries. He only had 11 catches during that span, which is scary when you're looking at PPR, something to keep an eye on. But a five-game sample size is not enough for us to know, especially now that they've added Matt Stafford under center in L.A., That will help stretch defenses for Akers, and it could provide him with more opportunities to catch passes out of the backfield. I like Akers a lot. I don't know if I want to take him as high as some people have him going. If he starts to fall a little bit, then I'll be all over it. I definitely like Akers' talent and opportunity. Just wait and see how he's utilized in in the passing game. 
during maybe the preseason or what they might say, and then kind of base your judgment from there. This next guy, a lot like Nick Chubb, is somebody that I would like a lot more if his situation was better, and that's Jonathan Taylor. There's no question about his talent, as Taylor showed off his ability to make big plays for the Indianapolis Colts. The re-signing of Marlon Mack doesn't worry me that much, as I feel Taylor is the superior athlete. However, there were instances where he was benched, Taylor was last year, holding on to the football. Mack could get, and Mack is a good running back, don't get me wrong. They, they, this could be more of a timeshare than I foresee, um, but Taylor has a penchant for getting put on the bench. That may not happen this year. He may have grown. He may um, have won over Frank Reich a little bit. However, there is the presence of Naheem Hines, who is the pass-catching back here. That, to me, is troubling, especially when you look at it from a PPR standpoint. Taylor makes a great number two running back, probably the best and most talented number two running back on this board. But I wouldn't be too thrilled if he was my first option because I just wouldn't be too sure. Now, I am higher than most on this next guy, and call it what you want. I'll make my case, and you can uh, hit me up and tell me what you think. At FFKnowItAll on Twitter, KnowItAllFantasyFootball at gmail.com. Call me out on it. Last season saw Miles Gaskin emerge as the featured back for the Miami Dolphins. Now, he did suffer an injury that cost him some playing time, and he did end up on the COVID list, which missed him some more time. However, as soon as he was off and off those lists and ready to go, he was put right back in there and made the workhorse again. When he played, he got the majority of the touches, and he made the most out of it and, and put up some really good numbers. The Dolphins did add Malcolm Brown, who will back up Gaskin, but he's really been nothing but a quality backup throughout his career. I don't think he'll supplant him. So while injuries are a concern to a lot of people when it comes to Gaskin, his production last year was nothing short of fantastic in my opinion. I think he's electric with the ball in his hands. I really do like him on film. I will be fine with him as a running back two with running back one upside. It's worth watching how Tua progresses under center two, as Gaskin did fare better with Fitzpatrick there. So keep in mind that Tua's progression could be could go hand in hand with Gaskin. I still like Gaskin as fine as a running back two with running back one upside. All right, so we'll head to number 13, which is Josh Jacobs. Here is yet another talented back that is the victim of circumstance. In the offseason, Las Vegas added Kenyon Drake via free agency, and he's going to serve as the complement to Jacobs, as it, it would seem. Now, Drake has been a starting running back for the Dolphins and the Cardinals for the past few seasons, so it's very possible that this is going to be more of an even split than we're forecasting. While he's far from anything special, he does have enough talent that he could eat into Jacobs' workload substantially. So, Jacobs may lose some passing down work to Drake, and if that happens, his PPR value will plummet. Now, I'm fine with taking him as a running back to... Uh, low-end running back to probably or mid-range. Now, I have him at number 13 because, again, I like the talent. I like the player. I just have to watch the circumstance and see what happens with it. I hope that he gets his opportunities to show what he can do. But, again, we have to watch that. 
the Raiders should have a much improved offense, so that could also add to Jacob's overall value. Najee Harris comes in at number 14 on my list, and I did not want to put him this high, but as history has shown us, Mike Tomlin loves using one running back. He's done that during his full tenure in Pittsburgh. If Big Ben can throw the ball with his aging shoulder, then there should be enough opportunities for Harris to flourish in this offense. He's the most complete of all the running backs uh, of this rookie class and seemingly, at least on paper, a perfect fit for the Steelers as they look to reestablish their smash-mouth running attack. At number 15 is a guy that I really wanted to rank higher. I love the talent. I actually I like him a lot, and I'm going to target him in most drafts. He was my favorite of all the rookie running backs taken last year. Unfortunately, his landing spot was less than ideal, and that is DeAndre Swift. This could change if we see in training camp that the new Detroit regime there is ready to rely on one running back. It hasn't happened in in Detroit since it seems like Barry Sanders was there. And I, I don't see that it's going to happen overnight there as well. But things need to change in Detroit for them to be successful. If it looks like he is going to get the majority of the carries, then I may have to move him up a few spots and take it from there. Again, Detroit has been notorious for misusing their running backs for the past several seasons. We'll see what this brand new coaching staff is going to do. They do have Jamal Williams. He was brought in uh, as a compliment to Swift, but I'm not, um, just by what he's being paid, Jamal Williams was brought in and paid very little money to be another running back in this offense, and I don't think it's going to amount to too, too much as far as taking away opportunities from Swift. However, Williams does catch the ball, so he could eat away some of his PPR value. Let's talk about Swift just for a second here. He started only four games last year, though he did play in 13. He ran for 521 yards, eight touchdowns, while catching 46 passes for 357 yards and a pair of touchdowns. I am aggressively targeting him this year. I feel that he is, um, he might just end up on my breakouts, on my list of breakouts later on in the offseason. At number 16, when you look back, at Clyde Edwards-Alaire's rookie season, one can make the case that it was a huge disappointment. That's mainly because he was taken in the late first round, early second round, in most drafts last year. I mean, the number one running back in that offense. It's a can't miss, right? Well, you have to remember that rookies, regardless of pedigree, sometimes take time to acclimate to the pro level, learn the playbook, so on and so forth. So regardless of whether or not you had Patrick Mahomes saying, I want you on the team or I want him on the team, which all indications are, that's how he ended up in Kansas City. You need to consider the fact that he wasn't, at least in my opinion, in the top three among running backs in last year's draft. I like Taylor, I like Swift, and I like Dobbins. I like them all better than CEH overall. He also missed three games. The Chiefs traded for Le'Veon Bell halfway through the season. Those two factors chipped away at his production. Still, Edwards Alaire rushed for 807 yards and caught 37 passes for almost 300 more yards. It doesn't seem like he had that kind of production, does it? That's because he had almost zero touchdowns. He had very few. His, His lack of touchdowns, only getting five 
total touchdowns, one in the ground, uh, four on the ground, one in the air, was an, it's, it's something that he needs to improve on. And I feel that he will this year. I feel that he will improve on that, and he may come at a discount based on those numbers being as low as they are. So if he does, if you can get him in the third or fourth round this year, snag him with confidence. This is another RB2 that has running back one upside and, and really blow your doors off potential. Number 17 is a guy that I've liked for a number of years. When he came on as a um, as a rookie in uh, Seattle, and that's Chris Carson. Now, those years are, are behind him. Uh, Pete Carroll has been adamant all offseason that the Seahawks need to run the ball more. Now, they, they did unleash Russell Wilson last year, you know, you know let Russ cook or whatever it was. Um, that only got them so far. They did resign Carson for two more years. They have stated that he will be the starting running back heading into the season. These are no surprises. He did miss four games last year, so his numbers were lower last year than they were the previous two seasons. However, he was still productive when he played and utilized quite a bit in the passing game. He started 12 games last season, 37 receptions, 287 yards, and four touchdowns. That's the kind of production you want from your running back in PPR formats. Rashad Penny is the only other back worth mentioning here, but he has proven to be nothing more than an injury-riddled backup through his uh, few years there in Seattle. I don't see that as a threat. Carson stays healthy. He should be fine as a running back, too. When he was drafted... Just about everybody talked about Antonio Gibson as a slash-type player who was better at catching the football than running with it. In fact, he was listed as a wide receiver for the 2020 NFL Draft, but Washington selected him as a running back, and they had the intention of making him their starting running back from the get-go. He did not disappoint you. Gibson proved that he could run between the hash marks, racking up 795 yards in only 10 games with an average of 4.7 yards per carry. That puts him at a 16-game pace for 59 catches while adding 1,272 yards rushing as a rookie. Those are incredible numbers. There's a good chance that you will see his numbers increase a little bit now that uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is uh, taking over a quarterback for the Washington football team. A lot depends on his usage, of course, with J.D. McKissick there uh, catching passes. He proved he was more than capable as a replacement last year. Should the football team decide to go on a split backfield, then we'll need to temper our expectations, of course, for Gibson. But for now, a 65-35 split is what I'm projecting. And with that in mind, I have no problem taking Gibson here um, as the number 18 back taken overall. Last season, I warned everybody that Miles Sanders and the hype surrounding him was getting out of control. He was going as high as number six at the running back position and in the top 12 overall. Are you kidding me? How did that work out for you if you took him? You can blame injuries if you want or the bad offense in in, uh, in Philadelphia if it makes you feel better. But the bottom line is, I stood on my head last year to say it, and I'll say it again. I have seen nothing from Miles Sanders that tells me he is a three-down back in anybody's offense, period, end of story. He does have some speed, and he's a talented runner. I'm not, you know, I'm not getting on him for that. I'm just saying that the way Philadelphia utilizes him is not going to be beneficial to you if you draft him as your number one guy, especially that early in drafts. 
He is not a workhorse. There's a new regime in Philadelphia now, so maybe they decide to do that. If they do, I fear that he's not going to hold up too well. I'm staying away from him unless he goes later. He's fine as a running back two, but he's not a running back one. I don't care how talented you might feel that he is. For what it's worth, there's some talk that rookie running back Kenneth Gainwell will be utilized in the passing game there in Philadelphia. Does that mean anything? Eh, who knows? I mean, he's a fifth-round pick, and the Eagles still have Boston Scott there. I'll repeat myself till I'm blue in the face. Sanders is a fine running back, too, on your team, but nothing more than that. I mentioned J.K. Dobbins earlier, and I love the talent. Another guy that I'm kind of iffy on his situation. He showed us last year, though, that if he was given a chance to, in, in that workhorse role, like he was in, in Baltimore, he could be lights out. Unfortunately for him, as I mentioned a second ago, he plays for the Ravens. Dobbins should be uh, the number one back in that backfield uh, to start the season, but they do like to use Gus Edwards, and Lamar Jackson is always a threat to steal yardage and vulture touchdowns. Still, though, Dobbins is the kind has the kind of upside rather that you want in an RB two. He's somebody that I would love to target in this uh, right around the, the the fourth or fifth round if I can get him and be happy with it because he has the upside, especially if Edwards misses time or Lamar Jackson decides to back up a little bit from running the football to really explode. Number 21 is another guy like Miles Sanders that I thought was getting way too much hype, and it seems like he's getting hype again this year. <laughs> And I, I don't know how to feel about it. Um, I, I'm not sold on him as, as a, a three-down player. And before we get any farther, that's Austin Eckler for the Los Angeles Chargers. I understand the reasoning for this, you know, but I'm just not buying it. This is a guy who has only nine rushing touchdowns in his career. In his career. You want a guy that's going to get you double-digit scores in a single season. Sure, he shared the backfield with at least one other running back almost all the time. That's not going to change this year, by the way. Those of you who think he's going to be a three-down back, I got news for you. It's going to be either Justin Jackson or Joshua Kelly in that backfield, or maybe both of them in a three-headed monster. He is, I looked, and the consensus rankings have him in, in at number eight, I believe. In eight or nine for this season at the running back. Stay away at that cost, guys. Stay away. If he falls, great. I mean, he's a fine player. But, again, I don't view him as the type of back that you can count on as your number one guy. At least not at the price you're going to pay for him, first or second round. If he falls to fourth or fifth, great, take him. I just don't like where he's going. He is not going to be most likely on any of my teams as his price tag is way too high for my liking. Now, at number 22... Maybe I'm crazy, but I do not view Javante Williams as any kind of a threat to Melvin Gordon. I, I hear different things from different analysts and, and some things out of Denver that they could run in a tandem, and maybe that could be true. I just don't see it. I really think Gordon will get more work, and he's proven to be more valuable as the fantasy asset here for the last several seasons. Sure, Williams will play. But I don't see any reason why we don't have to get into this all uh, that much more. If you're looking for a solid running back two and Gordon is falling on your board, 
take him. He'll give you running back two numbers. Just don't count on him to win you a championship. Now, again, if something happens with Williams, they don't really have anybody else there. Yeah, Royce Freeman, but he's proven not to be very good. Gordon can be a number one running back, but that's injury dependent. You don't want to base your, uh, you don't want to try to anticipate injuries in any way, shape, or form. At number 23 is a guy that probably has the most upside of anybody who's not a starter, and that is Kareem Hunt. He's the only non-starting running back in my top 24. Again, that's due to talent and circumstance. He produced for Cleveland last year, even when Nick Chubb was in the lineup. In PPR formats especially, Hunt should be locked and loaded as no less than a running back too, but huge upside should Chubb miss some time, as he did last season. And at number 24 is a guy that benefited from having no competition in 2020, and that's David Montgomery. When Tariq Cohen went down early last season, Montgomery was heavily involved in the passing game. That led to inflated numbers and monster weeks as the season progressed. He was always, he I want to say always, but more often than not, he was my start of the week, and he did not disappoint. Don't get me wrong when I say that his numbers were inflated because he was he's not a plotter like some other running backs can be. Montgomery can run the football. He's quick, and he also can catch the football as he showed last year. That being said, with Tariq Cohen coming back and other backs in the fold, I don't believe that he's going to get the passing numbers that made him so successful last year. So limit your expectations with David Montgomery, although he is most likely a solid, or he most likely will return a value of a solid running back two for you or a flex option. I'm just not liking where he's going based on last year's numbers. Never draft on last year's numbers, and and that's going to be in a podcast later on when I go over some tips of drafting. But for now, just look at Montgomery as no more than an RB2, low-end, or a a high-end flex. Now, I did entertain, for those of you wondering where Travis Etienne is, I did entertain the thought of putting him here at number 24 over David Montgomery. And he may end up there before the season starts. However, that backfield in Jacksonville is a crowded mess. There's a rookie quarterback, a brand new head coach. So I need to stay away for for now at least until I can evaluate that situation a little bit better. Well, folks, that's going to do it for the running back rankings preview. I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen to the show and Make sure you join me next week as we rank the top 36 or 40 uh, wide receivers in fantasy. And then after that, of course, we will do quarterbacks and tight ends. Please remember that the Know-It-All Fantasy Football Podcast is a proud member of the Skull King Podcasting Network. If you're looking for in-depth, comprehensive coverage of all major sports, including boxing, MMA, collegiate athletics, horse racing, You name it. Look no further than Skull King Sports. www.skullkingsports.com Hashtag Steelers to check out my articles on the Pittsburgh Steelers. I also provided a link in the description so you can just click on it and check them out. Until next time, everybody, please continue to do everything that you can to dominate your lives. Never forget